Hey, family, so good to see you this week. Uh, last weekend, Cindy and I were on Maui with a group of pastors and wives, and as part of that, we got to spend a morning at Lahaina Baptist Church. Uh, we were helping them get ready to reopen. They're in the restricted zone, and so nobody's allowed in there yet. We had to get special permission to go in there. But when Lahaina does reopen, they want to be ready. Uh, they want to be ready to welcome people, to bless people, and uh, so we wanted to help them get ready. There's a little picture of uh, some of the pastors and wives who joined together to do a little work around there. And you can see their building is still standing, which is amazing because just beyond that, you see a line where the fire came to, and it stopped exactly on their property line. Uh, that building is not fire resistant. It's completely made out of wood. And... Uh, it didn't burn, which was amazing. Everything inside of the building melted. Refrigerator melted, an oven melted. That's how intense the flames, the, the heat was, but God preserved the building itself so that it can continue to be a lighthouse to that community. And so be praying for Lahaina Baptist. Uh, be praying for the people of Lahaina. They've got a long road ahead of them. Uh, as we were looking around a little bit in the, the restricted zone, it still looks exactly the same as what you saw in the days after the fire. It still looks like a nuclear wasteland. So they've got a lot of work ahead of them. They've got a long fight ahead of them. Uh, the people of Lahaina are fighting against outside developers. They're fighting against government bureaucracy. And our time there reminded me that life is a fight. Life is a fight. And that's what we're going to see today in the book of Joshua. So if you've got, got your Bible, open to Joshua chapter 6. We're going to see the battle for Jericho, this fight for this strategic city. Uh, in my life, I've only been in two fights in my life. Uh, the first one was in third grade. Uh, I hit the kid in the ear. He kicked me in the crotch. Fight's over. That's just, it's done right there. Second one was in seventh grade. I'm just walking home from school, minding my own business, little seventh grader, and some kid decides to jump me because he wants my t-shirt that was signed by Tom Carroll right after he won his first world championship. So I tried to put up a fight, but I'm a little seventh grader. He's a big eighth grader. So I went home without a shirt that day. And that was the end of my fighting career. That was it. Or so I thought. What I've come to realize more and more is that life itself is a fight, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul said it three times in his letters to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. You got to get in this fight because life as a Christian is a battle. And maybe you're experiencing that right now. Maybe you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, or maybe it's a relational battle. Maybe there's an emotional battle going on inside of you, or maybe there's a legal battle. There's all kinds of battles that we can be facing right now, but here's what we need to see, and we will see today. God is with us in the battle. God fights alongside us in the battle, and God prepares us for the battle. That's what we want to start with. No matter what kind of fight you're in right now, there's something you got to do to prepare for this battle. And you actually saw it last week in chapter 5, so I lied to you. Flip back a page to Joshua 5, and look at what it says in verse 13. You read this last week. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? You know, this guy, he's a representative of God. 
maybe the pre-incarnate Christ. We don't know. In some way, he is God's representative. And so when Joshua asks, are you for us or for our enemies? The answer should be really obvious. God is for the Israelites and he is against the godless Amorites. That's what we would assume. Because all of us just assume that God's on our side, right? When you put down $20 in your office pool on the Super Bowl, maybe you put it down on the Niners, I don't know who you put it down on, you are now praying for God to deliver the victory to you through the Niners because you assume that God is on your side, right? When you were at Costco yesterday morning picking up snacks for the Super Bowl party that you're hosting, Evil A Costco, and you're circling around and around for a parking space, you are praying for God to give you a parking space because you assume that he is for you and he's against all the other losers driving around like me, right? <laughs> all of us assume that God is on our side. And so when Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? He is not expecting this answer. Verse 14, neither. What? Neither, he replied. I've come as commander of the Lord's army. You know what he's saying? God is not for them and he's not for you. God is not giving you this land because he likes you more than the Amorites. It's definitely not because you deserve it more than the Amorites. He is removing the Amorites from this land because they're baby murderers. We know that from history. They sacrificed their own children to their gods. We know that they worship their gods, demons, through ritual sexual abuse of slaves and foreigners. And God has not given Israel the land because they're any better. They're going to fall into the same kind of sin once they settle into this land. The only reason God has given Israel this land is because he's chosen them to be the nation who's going to bring the Messiah into the world. So the question isn't whether God is on our side. The question is whether we are on God's side. That's the question we got to ask before we get into any kind of fight. Here's what we got to know about the fights that we face in life. Number one, the fight starts inside. It starts inside with us asking that question, am I on God's side? Before you go fighting evil outside, you got to fight some evil inside. Before you go picking specks out of somebody else's eye, you got to take the log out of your own eye. Ask yourself, am I on God's side? Am I depending on God's grace? Am I depending on God's strength? Am I doing God's will? That's where the fight begins, inside. That's what the Israelites had to get figured out before anything. Now, as we move into chapter six, they're ready to take the fight outside. And they've got a long battle ahead of them to conquer the promised land. First things first, they got to conquer this city called Jericho, very strategic city. The thing is, the Amorites who live in Jericho, they've been preparing for this. They've known for a long time that Israel is coming, that they're on the war path. And so they've prepared really well. They've built walls that are 20 feet thick and 25 feet high. They've built up an army inside the walls just waiting to fight. Look at how Joshua describes it. In chapter six, starting in verse one, he says, now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. Literally in the Hebrew, it says Jericho was shut up and shut up. Every gate, every window, every door is closed and bolted and chained. There is nobody coming into Jericho and there's nobody going out. 
They're not letting anybody out of Jericho. They are expecting every man, woman, and child to fight and fight to the death. And so the point is to show us just how hopeless this battle looks. The Israelites are looking at this city going, man, how are we going to get inside? How are we going to even start to fight? How are we going to win this battle? It looks impossible. We're never going to be able to do this. Because here's the thing about the fights that we face. Number two, the fight can seem hopeless. It can seem hopeless because anything that's worth fighting for isn't going to come easy. This battle looks impossible. So I'm just imagining Joshua getting all of his guys together, all of his commanders, just going, okay, team, how are we getting into Jericho? Let's brainstorm. Okay, no idea is a bad idea. Let's, let's just throw some ideas up on the whiteboard here. One guy's like, I got it, ladders. We're gonna go down to Home Depot. We're gonna buy some ladders. We're just gonna climb over the wall. Joshua's like, okay, that's a decent plan. Another guy's like, oh, no, 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 shovels. We need a lot of shovels. We're gonna dig tunnels under the wall. Another guy's like, no, 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 we're gonna lay a siege. We're just gonna surround them and wait outside the wall until they starve and they gotta come out and fight. There's all kinds of ideas being thrown out there, but the reality is none of them really are good ideas. They're all pretty terrible ideas. This fight looks impossible until God steps in with his idea. Verse two, the Lord said to Joshua, look, I've handed Jericho, its king and his best soldiers over to you. So march around the city with all the men of war circling the city one time. Do this for six days. I've already handed Jericho over to you, so now all you gotta do is just march. Family, whenever God wants you to do something for him, it is always in response to something bigger that he has already done for you. The indicative always comes before the imperative. God's saying, hey, I've already defeated Jericho. And so verse four, have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the ram's horns. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. And then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. That's the whole plan right there. God is going to take down the walls and the Israelites are just going to walk right in. I don't know about you, that sounds like a pretty good plan to me. If I'm Israel, this is a great plan. But still, if I was Joshua, I'd, I'd still have one question. Okay, that's a great plan, Lord. But why can't we do that now? Why have we got to wait seven days for this plan to be carried out? Here's why. God wants to give Jericho every last chance to repent. That's why. He told Abraham 500 years before this that he was going to give this land to Abraham's descendants, the Israelites. And at the same time, he said, but I'm going to wait to do that until the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. I'm going to give the Amorites 500 years to repent to turn away from the child sacrificing and the sex trafficking and the slave abusing. I'm going to give them 500 years to turn away from that. Well, they didn't. They didn't. And so now God is giving them seven more days. 
This is the kind of patient and gracious God that we have, family. Whenever anybody tells you that they don't like the God of the Old Testament, and he's just so angry all the time, take them to this passage. Show them how loving and gracious and merciful God has always been. Verse six. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests, and he said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the troops, move forward, march around the city and have the armed men go ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Just to give you some context here, Jericho was only about six acres, not that big, like a quarter the size of Alamoanamal, not even including the parking lots, just, just a quarter of the mall itself. So it would take maybe 10 or 15 minutes to walk all the way around this city if you're just strolling. I mean, this isn't that big. Verse eight, after Joshua had spoken to the troops, seven priests carrying seven ram's horns before the Lord moved forward. They blew the ram's horns. The ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. While the ram's horns were blowing, the armed men went in front of the priests who blew the ram's horns and the rear guard went behind the ark. But Joshua had commanded the troops, do not shout. Don't let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say shout, then you are to shout. Until that time, don't fight, don't strategize, don't even say a word, not a single word. Because you're gonna have some stuff to do in this battle, but not until a whole lot of things that God has to do. Verse 11, so the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling at once. And they returned to the camp, spent the night there. Yeah, that's their whole work day right there. Take a nice stroll, 15 minutes around the city. And it's like, all right, oh, pow on a time. All right, we're, we're pow with work. It's all done. It's a, it's a great day of work, but this is gonna go on for six more days. Verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning. The priest took the ark of the Lord and the seven priests carrying seven ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord. While the ram's horns were blowing, the armed men went in front of them and the rear guard went behind the ark of the Lord. And on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp and they did this for six days. Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. And that was the only day they marched around the city seven times. You notice how he keeps repeating the same thing over and over again. You probably started falling asleep as I was reading that. And that's to help you feel what the Israelites are feeling. Over and over again, we're just playing follow the leader around this city. It's just like when I used to coach my kids' soccer teams, five-year-old soccer, I would have them do follow the leader just so they could learn to follow something. Like they'll have to follow the ball at some point. That's what the Israelites are doing. It's just follow the leader day after day after day. And so I'm sure the Israelites are getting a little impatient. Come on, let, let's get on with this. But here's the thing about the battles that we face in life. Number three the fight requires perseverance. The fights that we fight in life, the, the most important fights, they're not like UFC fights. They're not over in 10 minutes. The most important battles that we have in life are long and slow and drawn out. Remember Peter? You remember how he told Jesus that he was ready to die for Jesus? And so 
He grabbed a sword and went along with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's ready to fight, man. He, he, he tries to cut off this soldier's head. He only gets his ear because, you know, he's not a soldier. He just plays a lot of Call of Duty, so he thinks he's a soldier, but he has no idea what he's doing. He, he cuts off this guy's ear, and he is just ready to fight. What he's not ready for is for Jesus to just give up and get arrested. He's not ready for a long, awkward night full of awkward conversations. People asking him, hey, don't you know that Jesus guy? He's not ready for that. So that's why he denies Jesus three times to save his own life. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus, but only if I get to carry a sword. Most of the battles that we face in life are long and slow and low-key. Most of the important battles are. There's one mom I know who's been praying for her kids an hour a week with a group of other moms for 18 years. Every single week, gathering together with other moms to pray for an hour for their kids. She said, a lot of times, I'll be praying for the same exact thing every single week for months. Sometimes for years before I see God even start to answer that prayer. She's also seen God do some amazing things. Amazing things in response to prayer. Because God is gracious to do that. Because he knows that when the battle goes on for a long time, it's really tempting to start taking things into your own hands. I'm sure that's what the Israelites are feeling after they've been playing follow the leader around this city every single day. So finally, verse 16. After the seventh time, the priests blew the ram's horns and Joshua said to the troops, shout. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, but the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in the house will live because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep yourselves from things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you'll set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. Because this isn't about you getting rich. This is about God accomplishing his plan. This is just one part of God's plan to save the whole world, to bless the whole world. So verse 20, the troops shouted and the ram's horns sounded. And when they heard the blast of the ram's horn, the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead and they captured the city. Here's where the Israelites finally joined the fight. God has already delivered the city to them but there's still a serious battle ahead of them. God's given it to them, but they still got to do some work to receive this gift that he's just given them. There's still a lot of Amorite soldiers who are ready to fight to the death. This is still going to be a hard battle. Some of these Israelites are going to lose their lives in this battle. But still, even with this epic battle, what you should have noticed is Joshua is only going to give us one verse to describe that battle. Out of this whole chapter, we only get one verse about the actual battle. Because the point of the story is that life's biggest battles 
aren't one with physical weapons. They're one with spiritual weapons. When it said that the troops gave a great shout, that's the same Hebrew phrase that you find over and over in the Psalms when it talks about the people of God giving a great shout of praise. That's what we're seeing here. These soldiers are shouting their worship. And that's the thing about the fights that we face in life. Number four, the fight is won through worship. The fight is won through worship because the fight's already been won. It was in Jericho and it is today. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, not will give us the victory, who gave us the victory through his death and resurrection on the cross and now delivers that victory every day to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The victory is already won. And so the way that we fight in this battle is by worshiping God for fighting on our behalf and winning the battle for us. You win the fight through worship and it doesn't matter what it is in this world that you're fighting. Maybe you're fighting sin in your life. Here's how you fight. By saying, Jesus, I worship you. I praise you for dying on the cross to take away my sin and empowering me to be freed from slavery to my sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Maybe your battle is against some kind of suffering in life. Here's how you fight. Jesus, I praise you for suffering on the cross with joy for me so that now I can suffer in the same way with joy, no matter what it is I'm going through. Maybe there's some enemy that you're fighting in life. Here's how you fight. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. I praise you for loving me even when I was your enemy and equipping me, motivating me to love my enemies the same way. That's how we fight the battle. Whatever it is in life that you're fighting, you win through worship. That's what the Israelites are seeing. Look at verse 21. It says, they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword. Everything is destroyed. The battle is complete. It's victorious. No question. They destroyed everything. Every man and woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. Now, as I was preparing for this this morning, I was tempted to just kind of skim over that verse because Joshua kind of skims over that. But we need to take a moment and just reflect on the fact that we're witnessing something horrific here. Women and children being slaughtered. And this hits us right now because we've seen the exact same thing over the last few months in Israel. Israeli women and children being slaughtered. Palestinian women and children being slaughtered. And so the question we got to ask is, how could God allow this? How could God even condone this? How could a loving God allow the murder of babies? What we got to remember is that the people of Jericho were murdering their own babies. And God gave them 500 years to turn away from that. 500 years to repent. And they heard stories about God. We know that. 
We know that they heard stories about the God of Israel, Yahweh, who is mighty and powerful and merciful. But still they refused to worship him. They refused to turn from their sin. And God even gave them seven extra days of grace to turn from their wickedness. And they still refused. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. You gotta fight your way through his love and his grace to get to his anger and his wrath. The tragic thing is that all the people in Jericho did exactly that. All of the people in Jericho except for one. Look at verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house. Rahab, who begged for mercy from Israel and Israel's God. Go to her house and bring the woman out of there and all who are with her, just as you swore to her. And so the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today, as Joshua is writing this decades later. Beautiful end to a brutal story. Saving this woman who ends up becoming the great-great-great-grandmother of the man who would save all of Israel, King David. And then the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of the man who would save the entire world, King Jesus. It shows you why God was really fighting this battle in Jericho and why God is still fighting today. Number five, because the fight is for souls. That's what the real fight is about. We are fighting for souls, and this is the biggest fight we'll ever have. This is the biggest fight we have right now. I know we want to fight for all kinds of things. We want to fight for our own personal opinions. We want to fight for our God-given rights. We want to fight for our cultural preferences. We want to fight for our political priorities. I know there's all kinds of fights that we have, but the most important fight that we are in is the fight to see people saved from God's wrath and then welcomed into God's family. Just like the soldiers fought to get Rahab and bring her back to the camp. Because that's how God works. He leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one who's wandered away. He turns the whole house upside down to find the one lost coin. He runs out to embrace the one lost son and then throws a blowout party for him. That is the kind of God that we have, family. He is always fighting for one more. Always. And so that is the fight that we got to join. We're fighting for souls. I love how John Piper said it. Look at what he said. There's a war going on in the world between Christ and Satan truth and falsehood, belief and unbelief. And there are weapons to be funded and used, but these weapons are not swords or guns or bombs, but the gospel and prayer and self-sacrificing love 
And the stakes of this conflict are higher than any war in history. They're eternal and infinite. Heaven or hell, eternal joy or eternal torment. I need to hear this message again and again because I drift into a peacetime mindset. As certainly as rain falls down and flames go up. I'm wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call the earth home. And before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs. And I'm using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Family, we cannot allow that to happen. We have to remember that we're in a fight and it is a fight for souls. That's why we have a vision that we're calling 1-100. What if every one of us committed to reach one more person like Rahab, one more person with the saving grace of Jesus Christ? What if there were so many people coming to faith that we had to plant 100 more churches just to fit them all? And what if all of these churches were able to reach so many people with the love of Jesus that we increased the number of people attending church every week in Hawaii by 1%. What if we reach just 1% of the state of Hawaii? That would be amazing in and of itself. That's something only God could do, just like only God could conquer Jericho. But still, we know that he's got a role for us in the fight. And so here's another question. What if we funded this fight like the epic battle that it really is? That's the question the elders have been asking lately because we want to fund the replant of Lahaina Baptist Church and we want to fund a bunch of new churches on West Maui to be a blessing to that community. We want to fund new churches on Kauai and the Big Island and here on Oahu. Just this past week, I met with a guy from Kaaba who was begging us to send a church plant there because there's zero churches along that stretch of East Oahu for 16,000 people who live there. It's impossible to realize that there's no church for 16,000 people. We want to fund the expansion of Harbor Waipahu, Harbor North Shore, Harbor Nu'uanu. We want to fund all kinds of ministry here in Kaka'ako that God has led us to, to bless our neighborhood and reach our neighborhood. There's so many great things that God is calling us to do. And we're trusting God to provide the resources to do it. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. I want to encourage you to go to a web page. We'll put up a QR code. You can pull out your camera right now, scan that QR code. That'll take you to a page. You can read it later. But you'll see our vision for ministry for 2024 and what it's going to take to accomplish that ministry. You'll see how you can be a part of that ministry. You can pray, you can grow, you can serve, you can give. And through it all, you can worship. You can worship, because just like we sang this morning, when we fight, we'll fight on our knees with our hands lifted high because the battle belongs to God. We're fighting, but only out of the victory that Christ has already won for us. The Israelites won their battles through worship. So let's fight the same way, family. Let's worship God with our voices. 
Let's worship God with our attitudes and our actions. Let's worship God with our priorities and let's worship God with our possessions. Believing all the time that God has already given us the victory. Amen, church? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this great reminder that of all of the battles that we face in life, we can have confidence, we can have joy, we can have perseverance because we know that you already won the victory through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Help us to claim that victory so that we can get back in the fight. We know that he is fighting every day through his Holy Spirit to see one more saved, and then one more, and then one more. We know that he wants to use us to see that happen. Through our relationships, through our conversations, through our lifestyle, through our generosity, Help us to fight this battle by worshiping Jesus Christ with everything that we have and everything that we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.